If you could go back in a time machine today, where would you go? Okay, the good old days of the past. Maybe you'd go back 50 years to the very first Super Bowl when the Kansas City Chiefs made it and lost. Uh, sorry, they did. Uh, so I had to look that up. So uh, any Chief fans in the house? I think I saw some red. All right. Uh, what was that? I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Uh, what about 49ers? Yeah, maybe one. All right. All right. So um, who doesn't care? I'm going for the commercials and the wings. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's, it's all about the wings and the, and the dip and salsa or whatever else. But uh, the, uh, the, the reality is this is one of the times of the year that we'll consume, average American will consume somewhere around 11,000 calories. So enjoy the day. Um, back in a time machine, maybe you would request that you would not have eaten that many tomorrow. Uh, but if you go back in the time machine, if I could all get in that time machine today and press back in time, I would take us back to the 500s. Not 500s as in 500 AD. I would take us back 500 BC. If you go back to 500 BC, you got some incredible things that happened during that time. Buddha was born during that time. Some of the things I'm going to mention are still having ripple effects that are going on to this day. But Buddha was was born during that time. Also, the holy writings, some of the holy writings, the Upanishads, were Veda writings of the Hindu faith were actually written in the 500 BCs. Also, the father of Confuciusism and and also Taoism was also in that time. They're putting them up there faster than I can say them. The Roman Empire was was also started on that time. Greece, it was the time that uh, uh, in history when it's called the golden years in Greece. And when I talk about those, those, those years, it being, uh, being a time when democracy for the very first time was invented, if you will, in Athens, Greece, giving a voice to all the people. So there's an incredible amount of history that happens in this season. The Greco-Roman world starts, the, the Greek uh, start into their, into their, their, their most prosperous times. It's also, so the times before Socrates and Plato and so our educational system, it's also the time where the Hippocratic Oath that the doctors perform, uh, that the doctors, doctors pledge themselves going into medicine, that they actually comes out of this era. So this time period in history was incredibly influential over the span of 100 years. And we, we sometimes don't think that far back, but when you look at it in time, it is incredibly powerful. Also during this time, Persia was the world conquering power. They had just conquered Babylon. The Hebrew people were now being set free to go back to their, their, their homeland, the promised land. And it's kind of a, it's so while Persia is trying to conquer the world, they're also liberating to some degree, still under the, the, the rule of the Persian king Darius and the others. Um, but it's during this time that the, the, the Hebrew people get to go home. Get to go home for what? Because for 70 years, they have been locked down in captivity. Seventy years prior to this, Babylon comes in, rapes and pillages and steals and plunders and burns and destroys the temple of Solomon. It's an incredibly uh, dark season that to this day, it would rival the Holocaust maybe plus. 
That's how huge it was in impacting the period and time in which they live. And to this day, they look back on it. They're now set free to go back to their homeland, to the promised land. They are getting a fresh start. After 70 years of captivity, after 70 years of being locked down, after 70 years of being educated under the Babylonian system, after 70 years of raising children in in a Babylonian uh, world, they are now set free to go back home for a fresh start. The thing is that when you come to this time in the history, though they are externally changing the zip code of where they lived, there's some things that don't change internally. And when we talk about a fresh start today, I want to make sure we get this straight from the beginning, that when we say fresh start, changing zip codes and where you live is not always the depth of the fresh start that you need. It's not always changing maybe the way you look or changing your hair or changing your status on Facebook is exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about a fresh start. There's a lot of people who think if I'll just change and live in a different area. There are people that move to Northwest Arkansas. I meet them constantly that choose to live here. They move here from California. They move here from other parts of the world. And they literally, their company allows them to live wherever. They look on the map. They find that Northwest Arkansas is an incredible place to live. So you're living in paradise if you don't realize that. So it's an incredible place to live that people come and choose to live here. And so whenever they come here, many times I'll ask them why. And they say, well, we just needed a fresh start. And that may be the beginnings of it, but hopefully there's some layers that happen underneath that. Because simply changing a zip code will not give you the depth of the fresh start that some of us might need. When you talk about a fresh start, some people can start a fresh start when they start a new relationship. And they start a new relationship and then that doesn't work out. And they start another new relationship and that doesn't work out. And really, they're not starting new relationships. They're just getting new people in the same old relationship. They're living the same patterns. They're living the same processes. They're choosing the same kind of people. They're living in that kind of cycle. And they're literally like Groundhog's Day 15 times over. They keep living the bad story of relationships. But they think a new relationship will fix it, put some spark in their life. In reality, they're changing the externals and they're not changing the internals. Some people change churches because they need a spark, they need a new, they need new energy, they need something new in their life. And again, they, they, they change the exterior of the outside of where they are and what they're doing and where they check in and where they check out, but they really haven't changed the internal. And we have a little bit of that with the storyline that we're going to tell over the next two weeks when we come to this book called Haggai. Be finding it if you want to in, in, in the moments ahead. It'll take you a while because it's only two short chapters. You'll find it in the Old Testament. The best thing you need to do is just go to the New Testament if you have one of these print Bibles and, and go to Matthew and then turn left. Uh, you'll find the red letters, turn left, all right? You'll come to the Old Testament, Malachi and Zechariah, and then you'll find the book, little tiny book of Haggai. But here's what happens in this time period is the 70 years of captivity, they change their zip code, they change their externals, but they don't change their internals. 
there's some things that happen to them on the outside that make give them a better start to a better life, to a better hopeful future. But in reality, they go back to the promised land, but they go back to some of the bad habits that they lived before. Even though they went through 70 years of captivity, even the 70 years of learning that what we did was wrong and what got us here for 70 years was what we got ourselves here and, and, and all of that, even though that it took only 17 years to realize that they had gone back to the same old thing, living the same old way. If we're going to do a fresh start and we're going to do a fresh start right, we need to make sure we get things in the right order. We're going to talk about this week, the reassessment of our lives. We need to go through a reassessment from the inside out, looking at the uh, who we are and what got us here and maybe what got us there and what got us there won't get us here or what got us here won't get us there. And so we got to just kind of take some time to reassess some of the patterns of our life and ask ourselves some questions. When you're assessing or you're reassessing, you have to ask questions. Some of us quickly jump to conclusions, conclusions, plans, action steps. That's next week. This week we need to reassess. And we need to do some heart level assessment because if we don't reassess, as you've heard and I've heard, that if you just, if you put lipstick on a pig and you kiss it, you're still kissing a pig. Changing the exterior doesn't change what you're really going through. People will try to cast and recast and make over the exterior, but they will never touch the interior. And a fresh start happens from the inside out. Next week, we'll deal with realignment. The thing about realignment and how to realign our life to a fresh start is really critical to the whole thing. Because again, if you keep doing the same old thing and expecting different results, you're an idiot. But if you don't realign, and the problem with realignment, and you've heard this before and I've heard it before, is that the problem with, with change is that we don't like change many times. People don't change until the pain of staying the same or the t- pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. So we'll just look at it, we'll reassess, we'll evaluate. Okay, there needs to be some changes in my life. But then the question will happen to you this week and next week. Am I willing to make the changes or am I just going to keep living the bad groundhog story movie of my life. We look at Haggai. Most people don't know much about Haggai because it's one of those forgotten books of the Bible. And I, I started in, again in my own journey uh, about a year ago realizing that so much of the time we spend in our favorite little books of the Bible and we miss some of God's greatest riches uh, of these, for, what I'm calling the forgotten books of the Bible. We've done studies this past year in Philemon, a little bitty book. Doesn't take long to go through Philemon. We did a study through the book of Habakkuk and the whole idea of misunderstanding or understanding God. And there's a lot of us that misunderstand or have a problem of understanding God. Habakkuk dives deep headlong into that. And again, we don't just study some of these hidden frozen books back in time. We don't understand them. We don't take the time to do them. So I want us to do the due diligence of looking at God's inspired word through the book of Habakkuk or through the book of Haggai. And I want us to understand him a little bit. Now you won't see much beyond about a 15 month period because that's all he appears in scripture. But in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, it does mention that now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, 
the son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews, and they were of Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. So at this time, we see that Zechariah and Haggai are contemporaries living in Jerusalem, living the life of a prophet, which is getting messages from God and giving it to the people, getting messages from God and giving it to the people. And so if you want to, in this whole time period, study along on your own the book of Zechariah, it would be very appropriate because they're contemporaries. They have the same message. They're trying to move the people of Israel past the cosmetic exterior changes, makeovers of their life to get deep into the soul and the spirit of who they are to see deep down heart changes. Two chapters is all Haggai will. You'll blink and you'll miss it. 38 verses in total. And literally, it gives us a date stamp in the beginning, and it gives us a date stamp at the end. There are four oracles that are given. It starts on August 29th, 529 B.C. and ends 12 December 18, 520 B.C. It's a total of 15 weeks. And the reason we know that is because you'll see in the very first verse, he date stamps it. And he's going to date stamp every one of the oracles that are given in chapter 1 and chapter 2. There are four of them. And so first date stamp, chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the second year of Darius, the king. And so he literally lays it out for us where it is. So historically, we can go back in time and see who was Persia, who was the king, when was Darius there, when was his second year. We can probably more than a lot of Old Testament books, we can put a date almost to the month and the day on it. In fact, to the month and the day on it. So it's incredible details in this. And again, he continues to write and continues to uh, encourage and challenge them. And the four characters that make up the story of the book of Haggai is Darius. Again, we just mentioned him. Uh, uh, he's, and then the, the word Lord, the word of the Lord. You're going to see the word of the Lord. And when you see it in all caps in the Bible, it's actually in your translation of the Bible. Anytime Lord is in all caps of the Bible, it is the most holy name given to God. It is the word Yahweh in the Hebrew language. An interesting thing, there are 38 verses in Haggai and 34 times does he use the word Yahweh. So this book is centering a fresh start on the name and the person of the Most High God. If your fresh start doesn't include the Lord, you've got a faulty fresh start. And then he goes on to Haggai. I introduced Haggai to you. Zerubbabel. It's interesting. That name means born in Babylon. We don't know much about him. He's the governor. But he was born in Babylon. He was likely born in exile. Grew up. Becomes the king. Obviously, he's the puppet king of Darius. Darius appoints him as, as the governor, excuse me, as the governor, and he's ruling. And then there's Joshua. Joshua is the high priest. These are the characters. Those are all the characters of the book of Haggai. But what we get in this, if we're going to do a true assessment, we need to reassess our life. What does that take to reassess our life? And I say reassess because it seems like every year, a couple months back now, we start doing an assessment. We reassess how did we do with our goals? How did we do with our plans? You, at your, on your job, you will reassess every year. You reassess your property every year. So you're, you're constantly reassessing in life. Let's reassess our life. How do you do that? 
Because you can't make changes unless you're just going to make cosmetic changes, exterior changes, without a full depth uh, reassessment. And the great thing is that's exactly what Haggai calls us to do. Two times in the first chapter, he calls us in two of the oracles, verse 5 and in verse 7, he gives us this challenge, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. What does that mean? I look up the word consider in the Hebrew language. It's interesting. It actually means to ascend, to go up. It's used 900 times in the Hebrew Bible. It's a preposition, so it's used all throughout the Scripture so we can get a good angle, good perspective on what it's used as. And 900 times it is used. But it's interesting that it means to ascend up. But then he's telling us to consider your ways. So ascend up, but consider your ways. Ascend up, but consider your ways. The best way I can picture this is get an aerial view on your life. Ascend up in a drone. Look at your life. Go back 70 days. Go back 70 years. Go back 70 months. They were for 70 years in captivity. Go back as far as you need to go back to get a true picture assessment of your life. And assess where you are. Consider your ways. Rise up and look at your ways. And I want us to do that very thing today. Exactly how Haggai leads the people of Israel. And he does that. And I think in the form of questions. He challenges them to rise up. Consider your ways. Look down on your life. And really examine where you're at. And when he does this. We pick it up. And we begin uh, looking at the first question. And it's the question of priorities. Let's talk about priorities. How do you look at your priorities? Well, you can look at your priorities in several measurements. How are my resources? How is my life? Resources, pretty much your life. It's the air you breathe, the time you live, the, the money you have. It's the life you live. It's the talent you have. It's, it's the treasures. It's everything that makes up who you are. It's the net worth of who you are when you go to your, uh, when you go to your financial planner. It's, uh, it's the net sum of your day. It's, it's all these things. How are they in accordance with God's priorities? Because if God is the true standard on life and I'm reassessing, I've got to reassess off of something. I've got to find a true north. I've got to find something to anchor and now I'll reassess my life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to assess my life back to the perfect, holy, awesome, incredible, beautiful God, Yahweh God. And that's where I'm going to anchor my life off. That's the center point of my life. And so I'm going to anchor off that and now I need to reassess my priorities. So exactly what... Haggai calls the people to do. Because in that 70-year journey and the 17 years that they've been back out of captivity, they've actually entered into complacency. They kind of got settled in and became complacent about their life and their walk. See, when they came back, the very first thing they did, Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, Ezra wanted to rebuild the temple, and they start doing that. They lay the foundation for the temple. They get the foundation laid there because they wanted God at the center of their life. Not a bad way to start your life. Not a bad way to start a refresh. But then the foundation is settling and, and, and everything is getting in place. And then they go over here. Okay, the foundation is built. Now let's go over here and build our house. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Everybody needs a place to stay. Winter's coming. Rain's coming. You need to have a place to stay. But what happens, not for 17 days, 
Not for 17 weeks, not for 17 months, but for 17 years. They never go back and rebuild the temple. They became all about life and all about building their homes and their, their status and their, their, their comforts and their pleasures that they kind of just absolutely kind of, well, they forgot about the temple of God. And they started their refresh on their life. And they kind of forgot about their life being anchored to Yahweh God. And if God doesn't get our first and our best, he will get our scraps and our leftovers. And that's exactly what he's calling them back to. Beginning in verse 2, look there. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, these people say, now notice this, the time, resource number one, time. Circle the word time. Highlight the word time. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord, Yahweh God. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. And what does God say to the people? Say it with me. It is time. Have you ever been on a different agenda than God? Have you ever had your time schedule and God have his time schedule? When we say it's not time, but God says it is time, we're already off to a wrong start. It's time for you yourselves you yourselves, there's an emphasis here. Don't put it off on somebody else. Don't point to the other guy. Don't do this. And you point to yourself. You yourselves, you dwell in paneled houses while the house lies in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, in case you didn't hear him the first time, he's still speaking again. Consider your ways. Get up above it. Now, notice you're saying it's not time. God's saying it is time. Who's right? Well, see, what happens in our little world is we start calling the shots with our time. One of those resources, you can insert treasures, you can insert talents, you can insert so many other things about life that make up our lives. Insert it. But in this situation, it's time. Time is valuable, right? You've got to count the time and make the time count. I looked up, the average American lives about 28,489 days. Start measuring your life in days and it becomes a little bit more real. Because then I looked up how old I am against the average lifespan. And I've lived over 18,000 years, 18,000 days. I've got more in the rear view mirror than I have in the window screen in front of me, guys. I need to be thinking about my life in a very tangible way. God, am I on your time schedule or am I on my time schedule? Am I on your agenda? Am I on, am I on my agenda? But see what had happened is the people got so busy with life because man, isn't life busy? Man, can you imagine the people? They were just reestablishing homes. They had their chariot leagues and then they had their traveling chariot leagues and they had to get their kids in the traveling chariot leagues. And so they didn't have time to go rebuild the temple. They were really busy. And, you know, after all, God wants us to take care of ourselves. God helps those who help themselves. You remember, that's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible, by the way. But it's in the Bible somewhere, right? No, no, it's not. 
But, but, but I got to look out for number one because nobody else is going to look out for me. Yeah, we don't want to babysit you. But I want to be on his time schedule. I want to set his, let him set his priorities. But notice this. It says this, that you're dwelling in paneled houses. Now, that may not mean a lot just when you read the text, but the, literally he's referring to the fact that they're living in houses made with paneling that is of cedar. Now, that may not be that big of a deal to you, but cedar's kind of a big deal because it was imported to Israel from Lebanon. They put cedar in the temple. It has a nice aroma. It has a nice uh, a grain to it. It's sturdy. It's a strong. It's a dry wood. It's got a lot of features to it that it actually is a great accent piece. You know the value of it. And see, what was available in, in the people of Israel's land, in the Hebrew land, was olive, myrtle, and palm, but not panels of, leb, uh, uh, of cedar. So not only were these people neglecting the work of God, but they were extravagantly living their life. Men and women, we need to reassess our priorities against God's priority. The days of our life, the moments that we have, are we using them to God's highest good? Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, we talked about this last week. Making the best use of the time. Look at your time. Is it being used according to God's will? He says it in Colossians, and then he also says it in Ephesians, the exact same phrase. Making the best use of the time. Now, what is beautiful about that verse in Ephesians is just a few verses prior to that, he said, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then he says, making the best use of your time. And then the very next verse, verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. See, sandwiched in between time, or sandwiched, making up the sandwich of time, is God's pleasure God's will. Does the time of my life, the life that I'm living, does it match up with the priorities and the values of my God? Does my calendar say that God has my priorities? Does my, does my gifts say that God has my priority? Does my checkbook bank statement say that God has my priorities? Lori and I made a commitment a few years ago, and it's literally caused us to say no to some opportunities because we made a commitment a few years ago that I never want to write a check any greater than the check that I write to my church in worship to God. So when we've looked at buying a new house, looked at moving or something like that, I look at what the mortgage will be. Will the check be more than the check that I give in worship to my God? Because if I don't carve off the first and the best for him, I'll put it into myself. And I'll start building paneled houses. I'll start living my plush life, my busy life, my full life, and I will miss the priority of God. Now, you can do that with, yours may look differently. But the point is, is that I need to, in every quadrant of my life, in every resource of my life, I need to do a gut heart check and ask myself the question, are my priorities, are my priorities pleasing to God? The second question is about pleasures. Pleasures. How do my pleasures bring pleasures to God? How do my pleasures? Now, let's just start this right off the bat. 
The presumption on God is so much that we see him as a cosmic killjoy. If we start enjoying things, if we start enjoying trips, if we start enjoying stuff, that, that God's going to swoop in and take it from us. Listen, God enjoys seeing his children enjoy life. So let's take that lie that we've told ourselves, the lie that we've been told, and let's kick it out. The scripture says this, he says this in, uh, in James chapter 1 verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. That's what we need to realize. If I have a, a nice home, a nice car, a nice job, a nice salary, a nice thing, a nice event, a nice trip, a nice whatever, that everything that I have is because God was gracious enough to allow me to have it. And if I don't have that perspective and I make it about me, then I, I'm certainly not in line, I think, with him. Here's another verse for you. You might want to memorize this verse. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God gives us what he has given us so that we would enjoy it. So don't think for any skinny minute that God is a cosmic killjoy. But let us also get this life principle down. God wants us to enjoy what he gives us, but not derive our joy from what he gives us. Where does your joy come from? Or am I enjoying the things that God has richly given me? Or am I making that the source of my joy? If I didn't have it tomorrow, would I still be full of joy? To the very song that we sang a few moments ago. So much we don't know that until we're in the storm, in the situation. But let's look at verse 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood. You made wood for your own houses. I want you to go up and I want you to finish my temple. And build the house that I will take pleasure in. And that I may be glorified. What if the acid test of the questions of my life would be, is this bringing pleasure to God? Is this bringing glory to God? And the word glory is fullness. Is this giving full honor and weight to God? Is this something that God finds pleasure in? Is this something that... So it's not just about me. Am I happy? Am I enjoying it? Is it good good for me? But actually, is God happy? Is God pleased is God finding pleasure. See, we get equations. And if you don't ask the right questions, I've said this before, if you don't ask the right questions, you'll always get the wrong answers. Which is the equation of your life or my life? Do I live by this equation? Do I live by my priorities for my pleasure? Well, what will that mean? That will equal my discontentment. I'll prove to that to you in a moment? Or do I live for God's priorities and God's pleasures and that equals our fulfillment? Notice there's a second person in that equation. When it's not about me and my pleasures and my priorities, but I'm literally going to make it about God and his pleasure and his priorities, and that's how I'm level setting my life, then I can now know that whatever God gives me, he gives it to me for his, for, for enjoyment of life, but it's also for his enjoyment in life. When I get the equation mixed up, I will find myself in a desperate state of discontent. 
Look at verse 9. Just listen to the discontent that's going on. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. Remember, priorities were out of kelter. Priorities out of kelter, therefore, God's pleasure wasn't being fulfilled. Therefore, God blew their their work away, and each one of the, and each one of you busies himself with his own house. Let me show you three self-induced miseries of a self-centered life. Self-induced miseries of a self-centered life. One is you never are satisfied. The car is never fast enough. It's never new enough. The trip's never far enough. The money doesn't go far enough. There's so many. It's just never enough. Now, don't confuse complacency with contentment. Contentment is a godly virtue. Complacency is just laziness. And they were complacent about God, but they were not content. God, so there's a vast difference. They were never going to be satisfied. He says, you look for much and behold, it came to little. You look for much and behold, it came to little. It was never enough. I wanted this much, but it was never enough. I never could get enough. Money is like salt water. You drink it. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. So if it's money or if it's time or if it's whatever, look back at verse 6. And you have sown much and I've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you have never fill. fill. You, you clothe yourself, but you're, no, you're not warm. And you earn wages and does so to put it into a pocket with holes. Sometimes you're, where did that money go? Where did my time go? Where did my life go? You will never, ever quite be content or satisfied. You're like the poem of Jason Lehman who said, It was spring, but I wanted it to be summer. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but I wanted it, but but I was, it was fall that I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring that I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of the nature. I was a child and it was adulthood that I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 that I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. It was middle age, but it was 20s that I wanted, the youth, the free spirit. I was retired, but it was the middle age that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Breathe deep. And ask yourself, are you satisfied? Not complacent. Are you satisfied? Number two, is your life as a constant headwind? Constant headwind. Notice what what God says he does to their stuff. He said, I blew it away. I blew it away. You had it. You thought you had it. God blew it away. See, when we make it about us, we make all, uh, it's my pleasure and my priorities. I'm going to leave to, I'm going to lead, lead to a life of, 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 of lack of contentment in my life. It leads you to a dark hole. 
Because you never have enough and you're never satisfied and it's like you're always pressing against the wind. You go back to the 4th century, okay? Now this is A.D., We've gone back a long ways in our time machine today. Go back to the 4th century AD. You'll read the book of Confessions by a man from North Africa named Augustine. You read his Confessions and you'll see his journey through the faith. When I don't have anything else to read, I'll pull off Confessions. I'll read it when I go to bed at night. Sometimes I'll read it in the morning. I'll just read little journal entries of his own life. And sometimes I'm reading it and I'm thinking, dude, that's my life. I read this... And I thought, I can identify. It says, I was eager for fame and wealth and marriage, but you only derided these ambitions. I was eager for these things and you derided them, God? What's, what's the deal? They caused me to suffer the most galling difficulties, but the less you allowed me to find pleasure in anything that was not yourself, the greater I know was your goodness to me. My ambitions had placed a load of misery on my shoulders. My ambitions placed a load of misery on my shoulders. And the further I carried, the heavier they became. When the wind's in your face, you can never get ahead. And it's always bearing down. Number three, you're consumed with self. Notice the last phrase he says in this verse. They busy themselves with his own house. Busies himself. Because my house lies in ruins, you busy yourself with your own house. It's not about us. It's about it's not about me, it's about you. And because you live in this world and it's all about your priorities and your pleasures and you're not living in my world where it's all about my priorities and my pleasure, then you will not level set off the right and you will find yourself. It comes down to two words today, priorities and pleasures. If you're going to get a fresh start today, you've got to figure this out, and I've got to figure this out. What will it take for God's priorities to be mine? What's it going to take? Question number one. Look at your bank statement. Look at your calendar. Look at your notifications. Look at what moves you emotionally, stirs you. And how does that point back to a true north in a relationship with a God, Yahweh God, who wants to be in a relationship with you. Second question is, what can I adjust today in my life to bring pleasure to God? What can I adjust in my life today to bring pleasure to God? I love this story of Haggai. When you go to verse 5, it says, the word of the Lord spoke. God spoke. You skip on down to verse 12, and I'll have time to develop this. The people obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, see, that's mission critical for a fresh start. 
Once God speaks, and God is speaking in this room right this minute, you're hearing the still small voice in your heart. I believe it. He's telling you something that needs to change, something that's out of line, something that's out of priorities, something that's not bringing pleasure to him. And if I am not willing to do this right here, Zerubbabel says he obeyed, the people obeyed, the commoners obeyed, everyone obeyed the voice of the Lord. If I'm not going to willing to do that, again, that's a lot next week. If I'm not willing to go back and do that, then I'm going to miss it. And at the bottom of your notes bulletin when you came in, there's a check there. And I want you to take that check with you this week. Don't fill it out today. If only you filled out one part of that check today, it would be signing it at the bottom but don't do that yet. If you're not ready to give God a blank check, don't write. You need to figure out what it is in my life right now is the next step of obedience that needs to take place in my life. And then you're ready to fill that check out. Who are you going to make it out to? Yourself? Or the God, the Lord, Yahweh, who wants to be in your life. I would encourage you to think about as you reassess this week what that is. Keep it close. Put it on your dash, on your computer screen. Put it where you get ready in the morning. Put it someplace and be listening to the still small voice of God. What is it that I need to write into this, these blanks as I make this check out? As I make it out, maybe it's something related to time. Maybe it's something related to treasures. Maybe it's something related to, to uh, your talents. Maybe it's some other resource that you could categorize. God, I'm ready to give it all in a fresh start to you. And then in the memo section, that's where I want you to put your next step. What is it? But you'll notice this. There was also a profound emotional connection with God because in verse 12, it goes on to say, the people feared the Lord. They went from complacency to be emotionally connected to God like they should be. Profoundly connected to God. Would you bow your heads with me? As you reassess in this moment, we are going to give you space to do just that. You might even keep that check out in front of you. God may be telling you right now what you need to put in the blank of that check. And sometimes maybe the only thing he's going to tell you is sign your name. I'll tell you later. And then it's an act of faith for you to hold it and wait for that revelation. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's what you've been doing with your life. We only have so many thousands of days if we're lucky, if we're blessed. What are you doing with them? Maybe today some of you would consider giving your life to Jesus. And maybe that's what you put in the blank 
when you write it out in that legal description, write out, I give my life to you. When you're put in that blank, just put yes, Lord. Whatever it is that God's telling you, you do that. We're going to give you space. The band's just going to play underneath us. And then we'll stand. We'll sing. When they start singing, you feel free to stand. You can stay seated. You do business with the Lord. God, you know this time, this space. We, you called us all here. You gathered us here because you love us. Because you want us to be your children. Because you want to find pleasure in us. And you want to see pleasure in us. So God, today, if there's anything in our life that's not pleasing to you, help us to just surrender it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a few moments, you just remain in the spirit of prayer in a few moments. There'll be prayer partners around the room. You'll be available to go to maybe one of them, they're going to be there. This is your time.